every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I am your host, Brian Carney. My guest today is Robert Wittick. Robert is the owner and founder of a commercial real estate firm called Diamond State Management. His story is actually pretty amazing. He's a former addict that's been sober for nearly three decades, and he and his partners have developed or acquired over 1.7 million square feet of commercial space over his career. Robert, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Three decades. Three decades is telling. I hear that and I'm like, God, how's that possible? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you have to be old to be sober for 30 years. Exactly. Well, we're definitely going to get into that. And, you know, obviously we, we on the show, we typically drink a, a beer, but I'm going to actually sample. I'm I'm also a uh, seltzer holic. So I love the seltzer. So I'm going to drink a, a polar seltzer and give it a, a rating by the end. But um, I do appreciate you jumping on and, and being willing to talk to us today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. Love this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, so let's start out with the easy one. Tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys do. Well, so so DSM is really was re- really originally a company called Diamond State Realty, started by my father back in 1969. So, you know, we've been around a while now. My family's been in real estate in this area for significantly long time, 50, 50 plus years. Um, DSM, Diamond State Management, was started. I started that company I'm going to tell you, 30, 30 years ago, 31, 32 years ago, to, to, to branch into property management and to uh, property development and ownership. Uh, and, you know, it started out kind of as a one-man band. Uh, my brother, Fred, and I were doing things together. I, I did most of the work. We were developing small strip centers and, and small office buildings and, and single-tenant net lease deals. And it's grown to, you know, 40 people. and uh, Crazy. Happens fast, right? Yeah. Well, you you would think, and a lot of people look at you and say it happened fast. How did that happen all of a sudden? I think one of the commonalities you'll find between anybody you talk to is that it's not overnight and it's not without a lot of work. It's not without a lot of 20 hour days and seven days a week. And everybody looks around and all of a sudden says, it must be easy. That guy did it so quickly, but no, it wasn't quick. We've been at this a long time. I, I love that saying. I know it's something like uh, you're a 20 year overnight success. I, I was yeah, right. that analogy. It's, it's definitely true. That's probably about right for us. It really probably, it probably took 10, 15 years before we really started to catch our stride. Yeah, that's great. Well, t- talk a little bit about how the company's broken into the different divisions. And and I'm, I'm interested in which one you enjoy spending the most time in? Well, you know, that's that's a great question. I, I will tell you that I probably enjoy the development side the most, even yeah. though it, it, it's difficult. You know, my brother Fred and I and my partner Dave Pantera, we often say development's like sweeping water uphill. You can do it, but you got to be really fast, right? <laughs> really efficient. And in and, 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 and any environment, whether it's Newcastle County, Sussex County, Kent County, outside of this state, 
there's areas that are easier and areas are tougher, but you, you face challenges everywhere you go. And, and we get pretty parochial about the challenges. Like we t- take them on head on and take them personally, but it's part of the fun. It's part of the um, reward. So, sure. so I would say I like the development piece. I, I, I love the fact that our construction company is really in a growth mode. That's great. Um, I knew nothing about construction when I started. I used to have to go home and people would say things on my jobs to me about the buildings that I was literally building down and I wouldn't know what they were talking about. I'd go <laughs> home and I'd look at the old, this is before the computer and phones. I'd go home and I'd look at, at this little dictionary I had Yeah, and, and I'd look up what they said. So the Like next a translator day, dictionary. I, I had no idea. So yeah. I, I learned, you know, it was baptism by fire, but we got a really good, smart construction team now. Yeah. It makes my life a lot easier. No and um, their growth is really exciting. And, and of course, I'd say the growth on the brokerage side. So, you know, I, I skipped over, but we're development, we're, we're management, we're brokerage and we're construction. And I would say the other thing is I love watching the youngsters, right? We got a yeah. lot of young kids in there and, uh, and watching them grow and, and hopefully mentoring them correctly. Uh, I didn't have the luxury of that. Everything I did just by nature, the way I started, I was alone. I yeah. kind of had to figure it out. I love watching these kids bounce stuff off each other. We have a real organic process. We have a very open and transparent process here. We, much different than a lot of brokerages. We meet, we meet constantly and talk about our deals. We're very open about what's going on in the marketplace, who we're working with, what kind of transactions they're working on. We ask each other questions and, um, and they're learning quickly. So I, that, that probably of all the things I discussed is the most rewarding the one that I find the most interesting is probably developer. That's it. So that's fascinating. I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about the mentoring because I find that interesting. And it doesn't seem like you set out to create a second generation for DSM, but just by hiring good young talent and being and them being engaged and wanting to learn from you, that's the result of what happened. Is that is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and listen, the growth also requires some inherent uh, legacy oversight, right? So I'm very fortunate. My daughter's here, uh, but n- neither one of my children, I, they didn't have to come into the business. Like sure. I, I didn't assume they would. And if, if one does or doesn't, uh, that's great. My son may someday, he's going to pursue some other things, which is, I think, you know, fantastic, he, you know, that, that he has other interests. And so he'll pursue those. But as we grew, right, as we grew and we owned more and we managed more and we leased more, we we need more people and we yeah. want some people who are going to be around. So it's great to have these young people who are engaged and invested because our hope is that some, if not all, or many of them stick around and sit in our chair someday. Yes. Because our portfolio is not necessarily such that we can just offload it in a day. Hey, you know, we don't have this capacity to get rid of our inventory like many companies in one fell swoop. So there's a, even if we were to unwind and stop developing today, there'd be years of work left. Sure. Yeah. So having an intergenerational inside succession plan sounds pretty amazing. Yes. And, and it didn't start out that way, but it's nice. So it's beyond just my daughter. It's my daughter and her contemporaries. And it's going to take all of them, especially if they want to grow. And all of them want to be successful because- that's additional layers of success, responsibility, obligation, and frankly, hopefully, ownership in assets, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, well, you guys have been really successful working with 
what what many people in the real estate would call you know large anchor tenants you know having tons of success with like a Wawa or a Wispis or a CVS or Walgreens how are you able to build those relationships and get get them excited about the opportunities that you have well you know so so kind of as a correction uh, they're really considered more of a mini anchor right okay we love them don't get me wrong. We love them. We love the velocity associated with those type of tenants when they're doing a lot of deals, that they're very aggressive, that um, they're very credit worthy tenants. Sure. How did it start? My father did did a bunch of 7-Eleven deals years ago. Yeah. And he did, did a bunch of Wendy's deals years ago. And he did a bunch of McDonald's deals years ago. And, and I, he introduced us to the crew of Wawa. We did one or two deals with them. And um that relationship's been going on for since 1987, maybe oh, wow. maybe 86. And we just did a renovation on a center that we have in Middletown that we put them in in 1988. Wow. And, uh, and we still own it and they're still our tenant. 30 some years later, they're That's still crazy. Rent, almost 40 years, 35 years. So we build on that relationship. And I think the way we build on it is to um, provide them service, Yeah, right? Provide them service and value. And if we keep doing that and we're competitive in the marketplace, find them in the sites first, you know, put them first, whether it's them or, or any, any of our other clients, that's what we do. When Alan Levin and I did Happy Harry's for years, you know, I went out and focused on, on his growth model and we found locations and put him in locations economically that were successful yeah. and, and met his needs. And as long as I continue to fulfill that need for him, and do it in a way that he was comfortable with, we just continue to do it. And we still own probably 15 drugstores out of all the ones we did for him years ago. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, this is an odd question, but do you still call Walgreens Happy Harry's like I do? Or is that all just, the time? All yeah, the time. It's hilarious. It hasn't been Happy Harry's in years and still call it that. I um, look at the old leases and they still say Happy Harry's. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny to have the Walla back in 1988. You know, that's back in the day where you used to have to order the sandwich from the woman who was standing behind the counter, as opposed to having the fancy touchscreen, the kiosk. Oh, there was no gas. Remember there was no gas. Yeah, they no the gas, first yeah. Delaware store in Millsboro with gas. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, one of the things in, in looking at a lot of the research that I was doing about you guys, one of the things that you guys have been credited for doing is taking sort of like old dormant, stale, vacant properties and turning them into really viable commercial real estate projects. How are you able to identify the, a piece of property that, that you think can become something? Well, you know, uh, I would say really, really having a strong knowledge of what our tenants need yeah. and, and, and tenants in general need, you know, what the QSR uh, market needs. That's, you know, your quick sit down restaurants, quick serve restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, we just have, a, we have a good insight into what these people need. I mean, we're really invested in how these real retailers operate. And so we go out and we try and find good real estate on good corners that will serve us for years to come. And in the meantime, if it's really good real estate, we're going to be able to pair it with really good tenants. Yeah. Right. So sometimes it's the tenant comes first and the deal, the, the, the piece of real estate, the deal comes second. And sometimes we just find, find real estate that we really like, and then we, we pair it with good tenants. And I would say that's probably a 50-50 paradigm. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't happen without years of knowing the agents in Dover, the agents in Sussex, sure. the property in Kent, the properties in Millsboro, you know, and, and understanding who's there, who's not there. Um, why they would want to be there. So, 
we've just been fortunate because my brother and I live it, you know, for years we worked seven days a week. Sure. Just like any other business, this is still a relationship business. So you build those relationships over time. It's one of the things that you've, you know, that's pretty obvious that's coming out there. And success begets success, right? If as long as you can continue to, I'm sure it's the same with your business. As long as you're giving your clients great returns, they're going to refer you and they're not going to leave you and they're going to continue to plow forward with you. So as long as we continue to give our, clients real value, find the locations they want and they're successful. Why do they want to reinvent the wheel? Let Great us point. work. So. Simple, is, simple and straightforward is always a good solution as far yeah. as I'm Yeah. So talk a little bit about how you got your start in the business. Now you, you said your dad had a, had a real estate company. Did you go yeah. in and work with him? Yes. Yeah. So all, three of my four brothers did. Um, my, my oldest brother, Ed, went to college and went right to work as an engineer for DuPont and then oh, wow. ended up with DuPont Merck and he retired with them and he's actually, uh, involved with us as a principal, but as is all, all the boys, but, uh, then David went to work for him. My, my directly older brother, my brother, Fred, my brother, David moved to Florida. He went into, uh, real estate down there. Uh, he's up here now as a superintendent working with us and my brother, Fred, went to work for MBA when the real estate market crashed in the yeah. late in the late 90s it crashed and he was smart he jumped off and got a good job with MBA learned a lot learned a lot about structure work ethic and uh, created some great relationships and he brought that back and he's been back for 15 years now so wow. um, but uh, it started with our pop really in the back of a car driving down the highways looking at real estate just wow. what we do today that's that's crazy. So yeah, the, it's interesting that your brother left, went to a corporate. Well, obviously, MBA has an incredible reputation for you know everything that that they taught people and the the culture that they built. And for him to be able to pop out for fifteen years and then or for however long he was gone and then pop back into the to the world is that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I would say it was almost twenty years. I, I think his heart was always in real estate. Yeah, always was. And, and it was difficult times back then. And uh, so he made really what I think at the time was a good decision to get out and see how other things happen, how other things work. Um, it, I foolishly plotted along. It worked out real well so that when he came back, we had assets, we had, you know, income, you know, we had passive income, we had people in place so that when he brought his energy, intellectual capital. We just, and another friend of ours who we went to college with, he, he came, he, he's always been with us uh, aside from another business he had at the time, John Papilli. But, you know, the three of us just kind of went back to work and in real estate, it's a market got back. We've seen four now cycles. Yeah. Right. Right. So when these psych, the first cycle came, I probably almost wanted to, to take the pipe. Right. <laughs> the, second, the second cycle came, you know, I maybe just wanted to get out of the industry. The third cycle came, I, I really just saw it as an opportunity, frankly, sure. yeah. right, to double down, to make acquisitions. And now that the fourth one's here, we're going to work our way through it, you know, yeah. or the fourth one may be upon us. Right. We're going to work our way through it. We're going to take advantage of opportunities. We're really well positioned for this to hope if this this affects some of our clients that we have that would be material then we've got bigger problems so we like our we really like you know our tenant base we really like our asset base we like the real estate we're involved in that's great do you have it's probably similar in our industry when uh these market cycles happen people always say well this time it's different than it than it was before 
you know, this is a different downturn in the real estate market, or this is a different downturn in the stock market. And I always feel, and I don't know if you, if you guys feel similarly, it has a different reason, but things always are cyclical and come back. Is that the same way in your space? I, I would agree. I think it, I think this is very different than the last two really significant downturns we've seen. I, I think that the, the ingredients are different. I think yeah. that that it's going to manifest itself differently, but it's exactly that. It's a down cycle and you yeah. just have to insulate yourself the best you can for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I tell all the extremely busy and a lot of deals are taking place. I'm telling them, listen, make hay while the sun shines, but be prepared for a rainy day. Yeah, great, it's great point. It's not going to always be this way, Yeah, right? You don't want all of a sudden one day you'll wake up and, and it, it could be quiet. The phones yeah. could stop ringing. You better be prepared to wait it out. Great. It's a great point. It really is. Well, let's talk about, you, you know, you've, you've been pretty open uh, in, to, in your life about your struggles with addiction. So, you know, and you're, you would, I would consider you a key advocate for other people that are struggling and someone that, that, have, that is willing to help anyone that's, that's going through those issues. So talk, talk a little bit about, you know, 30 years ago with, with your struggles with, with addiction. Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I really feel in retrospect, my addiction started from the day I drank, right? So yeah. by the time I got to the point where I really felt I had a problem, I, I felt my problem was just drugs, right? Yeah. To be very candid. And I thought if I went away for a little while, I could deal with this issue with drugs and and some of the inconsisten- inconsistencies in my life that I created. And I really didn't understand the depth of the problem. Yeah. And I certainly didn't understand addiction, you know, the, 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 the disease of addiction. Sure. So I went away to rehab, kind of to check out and catch my breath and see if I couldn't get out from un- underneath a lot of hot water. Yeah. And, um, and, but it was unfortunately pretty eye-opening, right? Like, shit, it's more than just drugs. I, I, I'm an addict, alcohol, yes. and drugs. And, and you have to stop drinking. And, and that didn't happen overnight, right? So yeah. I went home after that night and I, and I relapsed several times before I finally stopped, but it planted the seed. And yeah. uh, I got hooked up with a bunch of like really great guys uh, in AA and they were pretty open about recovery. Uh, and at the time, 32 years ago, it was still a bit verboten. It was still a bit taboo. Re- to, to- yeah, a, bit, a bit taboo. That's a great yeah. word, a bit taboo. It wasn't openly sp- spoken about. It wasn't, you know, one of the things that they say in AA meetings a lot, or, or you hear around recovery a lot is that, you know, everybody comes in worried about who they're going to see in an AA meeting, but they never realize that that person's there too. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so if, they're, if they're there, they're there for the same reason as you. They're not there to judge you. They're certainly not there because they came in on the wings of roses right. and, you know, having conquered the world, they're there for some similar reason to you. It could be as simple as they just drank too much or their whole world had fallen out from underneath. <laughs> no worries. So, you know, I, I was enlightened and, and I'm like, yeah, man, I definitely have that gene. Yeah. And these, it, it, it became ever more apparent to me. So when I finally did put the, put the bottle down, uh, I listened to these guys yeah. and they were very open about it. And it was really at a great time in AA because I didn't care what people thought or, or said. Yeah. And while I'm not, you know, while I'm active, I'm not as active in recovery as some. I'm more active than others. I may not be as deep into the big book, which is, you know, kind of the, the, the footprint for recovery, the, foot, the steps of AA. Yeah. And I'm not as conversant as others, even after 30 years, but 
what I can do is take you to a meeting. Right. You know, meet good guys. They kept me sober and keep you sober long enough so that you can start to do that. And I can't do that if you don't know. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right. If you know, so I said, well, that's the way I'll help. Yeah. That's amazing. When you look back at, at your personal experience, was there a singular defining moment where you said, okay, this is it. I got to do this. Or was it no, sort of like know, a bunch of little ones? And I think it was a preponderance of overindulgence, inability to stop. Yeah, to, to stop, you know, consuming alcohol and drugs. Yeah, I, I, I came to realize that I truly could not drink one drink, or or do you know one have one joint or whatever the case may be. It just was not. I could not do it physically. Yeah, I had a good friend of mine for years. He used to say, can you just have one wine? And I, I said, yeah, I can have one wine, but I could also have 35 wines, but I choose not. I choose not right. to. Yeah. Because frankly, I tell this people all the time, there's nothing that I'm, I've missed or missing for not drinking. There's nothing, right? I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, really enjoying a good red wine, sure. a good bourbon. I have friends who do that with me all the time and, and more power to them. Yeah. If I could do that, I would, but I'm still with them at dinner, enjoying the company. Yeah. Or on the golf course or on a boat or on the beach, um, enjoying it just as much as they are. And quite frankly, maybe the following day, I enjoy it more. Uh, that, that's for sure. Well, right? I, I think that's a really important thing where, I, I, you know, you, you, you haven't altered your entire life and removed yourself from things. You, you said that I have to deal with this part of it and people around me, I can't just remove myself and never go to a party or never golf again with guys. Yeah, no, no. Absolutely. But early on in recovery, you do. We sure. really recommend you change people, places and things. And then slowly as time goes by and you become more settled in recovery, really more invested in the disease concept. And, and it's a very key element of your life. Then you can reintegrate yourself back into those things. I don't recommend that you, you know, get sober, go to rehab, do whatever it is. And then three weeks later, go to a bar with your friends. Yeah, I would say sense. don't go, I would say, go, out for, go out for pizza with me. Yeah. And, 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 you know, let's go bowling or to a movie and play golf. And then but maybe in, in six months, a year, when yeah. you go to a wedding with your girlfriend, have an exit plan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? That's, that's you know? That makes a ton of sense. You have to, to work up to that point. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you really do. But yeah. it's, it's tough with the youngsters. It's easier as people get older. If we could, God forbid, if we can keep these addicts alive till 28 or 29, because it's so bad now with opiates and perks. Very and, true. And, and fentanyl, it's so bad. But if we can keep them alive till 28 or 29 and their brain starts to really start to mature, yeah. then, we can, then we have a better chance. It's the youngsters where we really have the that's, that's great. That's a great point. Well, one of the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is you know having a business partner. So obviously, you have a business partner named Tripway and... Um, how did you meet Trip? How did you guys decide to go into business together? And how's that relationship been? Yeah, well, you know, uh, listen, so I, I've always partnered with guys. I'm yeah. very fortunate. I have a lot of, you know, starts with family. And then a, a guy named Dave Cantera and uh, Alan. And so yeah, I'm, I work real well. I, I like to think we all work real well together. Sure. We understand how to divide and conquer and who's better at certain things and others. And, and Trip came along to do some brokerage for us years ago when, when I had gotten into a couple office building deals. And that's really not my space. And Trip and, and his partner at the time and his little leasing team, they came in and we got to know each other and they were good at what they did, right? And they were good at something I didn't do 
well and really didn't like that much. I, I liked the ownership portion of what I was doing, but yeah. I didn't like doing the leasing and the leases. So Trip came along and started doing that for me and uh, and did it pretty well. And then and, and he had a great relationship with some people at his old company. But I guess, you know, the time came that he wanted to make some changes. Sure. And he came and said, hey, look, I, I'd like to open up a brokerage. Can we partner up? And then I'll handle your leasing on your on your inventory at the time we had between myself and some really closely knit partners, you know, we had a million and million and a half square feet of space that we controlled. Wow. And so for one guy, and he had one big client at the time, Wisfus, that he was doing all their deals. It was plenty of work for one guy. So he was really going to come in. We'd have a little boutique brokerage company and we'd have a boutique development company. And, you know, we had this office a building we owned in Newark and we thought that would be great. And off the yeah. road we go. And now here we are 20 agents later and, you know, 10 full-time administrative staff people. And, and he's, listen, and he handles that and he handles it well. Yeah. And he's grown that organically. And, and so I, I get involved as much as they need me to. I, I, I'm around because it, it's good for me to source business for them. I yeah. love doing that. I love being, going out and finding opportunities for them. But when it comes to the nuts and bolts, he runs it and he does it really well. And, and, it all came about because he just wanted, I think, a change. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting, you know, having a business partner myself, in a lot of ways, it's like a marriage, right? And I think if you're able in the business world to find someone that likes to do things that you hate, but still works within the context of the industry or the, or the business, that's a home run. You know, I always find it interesting when a lot of times when you're growing up and, and you're starting your career, people are like, well, you need to get better at the things you're not good at. And that to some extent, that's true. But I also find that it's if you really dislike doing something, you're probably not good at it. And you could probably find someone that's better at it and just partner up with them. Yeah. And especially when they don't when they enjoy doing that. Part exactly. Or, or, or don't dislike it as much you do. So I'm really fortunate. Right. I got four guys in here that I work with trip being one of the main guys that we all really have kind of a very, I wouldn't say defined, but a very well understood area of expertise and, and responsibility. Yeah. Right. And so, and they know that the reality is that when we get the devil is in the details of a lease, it's probably not going to be me. It's going to be Trip. But when right. it comes to financing, it's going to be me. And Trip can help me with financing. He's real good with that now. And when it comes to construction, I may think I know what I know, but I don't, it's going to be Mike. And yeah. when it comes to, you know, making sure we get something approved. I, I may be at the meetings with Newcastle County and Delta, but ultimately my brother Fred's going to get it across the finish line. Yeah. And then, then our partner, John's going to oversee the construction of it all right yeah. with Mike. So it, it really so organizations have clearly defined roles for people. And, and I think that's a, that that's ringing true here. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and, and all of that is just understood. None of it's necessarily we, we don't Official. have job descriptions. Right. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, one of the things that I'm interested in, your industry in particular was crushed during COVID. And I know there's still there's still effects that are lingering around. A couple of things. How, how did COVID affect your your world, you, you guys in particular? And then were there any positives that have come out of it? Well, so to start with how did it affect it? Listen, there was a lot of sleepless nights. 
No doubt about it. Just like everybody. I don't think there's an industry that was not touched. And here I am in retail real estate. And with the advent of Amazon and then COVID, we were really concerned. Now, the large share of our tenants are, are, I forget the terminology I used back in the day, but, but they were, they could remain open. Okay. Um, they were essential. Essential. Yeah. So, essential. Employees, yeah. yeah. So we had convenience, we had food, we had dollar stores and we had drug stores. Yeah. And then our, in our office space, half of it's medical. Right. So we gathered ourselves. We, we kind of understood what our obligations were. We got together with our lenders. You know, we have a big lending relationship across the entire community. You know, we do business with every bank. Every bank was already out in front of their relationships with their clients. Every client for the most part was out in front of that with their tenants. And everybody was kind of pulling together in the same direction to say, okay, the bank was saying, okay, here's what we can do. And we were telling the tenants here, okay, here's what we can do for you. And everybody kind of pulled in the same direction. I kind of did. And we all got through it. The people that were weak and didn't survive, probably in some cases, weren't going to anyway. Good point. Yeah. The people who did survive became better at what they do. Yeah. And more, so I, not exactly analogous, but somewhat analogous. When we had the bank meltdown of 08, not the, not the savings and loan one before that, sure. but 08, 10, 9. After we came out of that, all of our lenders became far more detail-oriented as it related to our portfolio of real estate, our capacity to borrow, to pay back loans, and and an understanding of the nature of all of our obligations. Yeah. So uh, when we got back into this, we and we never really stopped. My brother and Fred and I, even then, we, we kind of took a quick turn and we went to some tenants. We knew we we're going to still do deals. And we were doing deals all through that downturn. Oh, that's great. Not, not a lot, but we were doing two or three deals a year, right? Yeah. So, and we were going with tenants that we could, you couldn't borrow money, but we could at the time. Now we were, we were throwing some equity at the deals, but we could borrow money because they were good deals. They were good deals and good tenants. So he and I kind of said, we didn't kind of, we sat down and said, look, Fred, I'll deal with the fallout. You keep pushing forward on the deals we need. And we did that. And back then it was a very small organization. And so- after the fallout of 0809, um, these lenders came back, and one guy in particular, and they helped us better understand how to navigate the borrowing environment and what we needed to present to our lenders to get a level of comfort that wow. we were okay. And what they did for us is make us better at what we do. That's- and they made us better understand our holdings. Yeah. You know, and where we were positioned in the marketplace and what our obligations were and what our strengths were, what our weaknesses were, what our maturities were, that made us get better. And that's, that has, that has continued into this day. And I will say that as we come out of COVID, COVID taught us a lot of lessons, right? Mm -hmm. And we're learning more about absolute need for some liquidity, absolute need for leaving dry, dry powder with capital with your, with your lenders as well as uh, liquidity, keeping your leverage level down, yes. you know, relying on good, strong tenants that are, that are probably not as susceptible to COVID, an epidemic, epidemic, pandemic, yeah. whatever the case may be. So, you know, and I, and I think a lot of my contemporaries did that. I've seen a lot of guys shift into the, into the flex market, into the industrial market. I'm going to tell you, Brian, the rents 
25 years ago for industrial space was the same as it was 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. It never got any better. It was a very <laughs> tertiary industry. Those guys kind of built more just to make more. And that market has gone through the, through the roof. And I've yeah. seen a lot of guys kind of get nimble and move into it. And we have to a small degree, um, certainly in a, from a brokerage perspective, our brokerage company really enjoys strong relationships in those spaces that have been very meaningful for us. That's great. So that's, that's fascinating that the lessons that you learned in the downturn of 08 really helped you out get through the, 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 next, the next downturn. Yes, absolutely. And staying calm yeah. and, and, and working with everybody. And, and I believe the entire business community learned from 08. Yes. And it got them through COVID. Yep. My, absolutely. I'm not unique, by the yeah, way. There's still a lot of guys like us and yourself that are still here today because of that. Very true. Um, A couple more questions. What do you think? Obviously, you're not a prognosticator, but what do you think the commercial real estate market looks like over the next 12 to 24 months? It's a great question. It's an interesting question, right? I I will tell you that I think we have another year of of relatively um, robust activity. Yeah. And I think you're going to see things start to I don't know if normalize is the right word, but I think that you're going to see things start to, to chill. You're going to have to have, there'll, there'll be fewer deals. There'll be a couple of things got to happen, Brian. Number one, cost of funds for years is really what kept the cost of construction from stopping development. Yep. If that makes sense. So as prices went through the roof on all our materials, we were still able to get money so cheap we could do deals and we were still able to push rents. Yes. We're going to get to a plateau on all that. So the only thing that's going to be able to change is the cost of construction is going to come down. It's not going to come down until construction slows down, right? Yep. Until we solve some of these world, you know, these international problems. We're, I think we're in for a period of correction. We're, we're into a corrective period. Yeah. We're, into, we're going to have a corrective period. I believe that. And if, you, if you're set up properly, if you're not over levered, if you have the right assets, and if you're not depending on and solely on construction and inertia to stay viable, right. then you should be okay. Yes. But I, I, it can't continue the way it was last year and the year before. There's just, there's no possibility. Yeah, you, that's a really interesting point you make about the cost of goods and cost of construction with interest rates being so low that e- the, the, the rates being so low allow you to still kind of take it on the chin that you're paying 400% more for whatever it was for lumber, whatever those numbers end up being. That, that's really- Yeah, yeah that, that was the inverse correlation. The only thing that yeah. kept us going. And then guys like me, and I'm only making some assumptions, but I can watch from the sidelines and see it. We have some really good local developers, competitive, mind you, but local. Yeah. The, the, the crew at Deldon's very good at what they do. The crew sure. at Ruccini Pollen's very good at what they do. Uh, Petnera is good at what they do. Down in Newark, um, Lang, Locke, uh, Angela, uh, Sionis, they're all very good at what they do. And, and I know they all have large portfolios of real estate, some similar to ours, some much larger. And I got to believe they did what we did. When yes. interest rates went down, we took a really um, close look at what we wanted from that opportunity. So did we want to create some liquidity and assets that were under levered and use that money on new investments? Did we want to create liquidity and put the money away aside? Did yeah. we simply want to refinance assets that were lowly levered Great point. and create cash flow? So we took advantage of, you know, our portfolio has 75 or 80 assets in it, right? Yeah. Um, at any given time, different properties from single net lease Walgreens to to 150,000 foot centers. So 
we were very aggressive in making sure that we properly financed our assets to meet our future needs. Yeah. And and took advantage of really low rates with some really good lenders, some really good partners on the banking side. And um, we don't have a whole lot left. It's not, it's not refied for the next five to seven years. At that's really fantastic. Rates. Yeah. Yeah. That's really taking advantage of a, of a great opportunity. Yeah. You know, yep. All right. So final question, how does one build a firm with so many people that are really good at golf? You have a bunch of low handicappers over there between you and Trip and uh, Dan Wham and Mr. Bree and the whole crew over there. How, well, how, how's that happen? Let's start by saying this. There's some really good golfers here. Lozner and I are not <laughs> two of them. We are golfers. We are nowhere near good. I, I think, I, listen, I, I, think, I think it's because we're like-minded, right? We all yeah. really, I, I can tell you this about all the people in here. All of the people in here are active. Everybody in here is active. There, there's nobody in here that isn't doing something outside of this office to keep them busy. And it just so happens a lot of us love golf. And yeah, as uh, we brought in interns over the years, it, these young men that golfed and were contemporaries of our friends, they were golfers, asked to intern here. And we brought them in. And one after the other, after they interned, they, they came to work for us. <laughs> and so, listen, I will put our golf team up against anybody. Well, I'll, I'll put a foursome up out of here against anybody in the state right now. If you see the DSM team roll into your charity event, you're going to lose. That's, yeah, no, no, it's Andy Fox, he's just a little bit of a sandbagger, says he's not very good, and then hits bombs down the middle every time. Oh, well, that's that baseball. See, that's, that's right. That baseball, yeah. right? He's still out. <laughs> and he, listen, look at Andy. Andy's a great guy. That guy never stops. He's like the Energizer Bunny. He knows his industry inside and out. He's creative beyond what some of us are. Yeah. Uh, relationships are great. And, and then he goes home and coaches baseball or he, does things with his daughter, whatever the case may be. He yes. does. I, I know Andy. He doesn't go home and sit down and watch Jeopardy. That no, it is. It is. There has to be some some correlation to the level of success versus how active most people are. Because you know, any book you read about CEOs and high powered CEOs, they're always up early doing some sort of exercise, whether it be golf, tennis, running, whatever. And it, it's a really fascinating thing to me to see how a lot of really successful people in the business world are super active in their regular lives as well. I, Brian, tell me if I'm not right. You need it if you want to keep your sanity, right? It, you know, it's funny. I always, people, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning to, to, uh, to go to the gym like four days a week. And I do it for my mind more than anything else. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. My father used to say, everyone has to have a hobby. Yeah. And, and he wasn't lying, right? You have to have something outside of work that allows you those moments of time when you can get away from the office, whether physically or mentally, and for work. And that clarity sometimes gives you your best opportunities to come up with creative ways to solve problems. Such a great point. Such right. a great point. Well, Robert, this is great. I really enjoyed having you on. And thanks so much for your time. Um, well, listen, here's it, your seltzer. Yeah. Cheer, well, obviously, this is Polar Seltzer. I think Polar might be the best brand. So cheers to you. We got a Propel there. Perfect. I got a Propel. I'm a Propel. I'm going to go Raspberry Lime. Cranberry Lime is actually my favorite seltzer flavor, but I'm going to go uh, four and a half out of five stars for that, for the, for yeah. that Polar. Um, if people want to learn more about you and DSM, where do they go? So it's dsmre.com. Uh, go on our website. We're here for them for leasing, sales, management, construction. We're here. We're here if they need consultation. Um, and we lend that out 
willingly, freely until we create some value for you. So, you know, call us, call us at the office, grab one of the guys off a sign. It's not hard to find us. Your signs are everywhere. That is, uh, I do see that for sure. That's awesome. Thanks. Well, if you want to connect with me on the Untapped app, so you can learn a little bit more about the beers that I've been drinking during these shows, my username is brcarney7. To learn more about how our firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit riversedgeadvisors.com. And finally, to hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy-half-hour.com. Robert, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.